Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Two weeks ago, I asked you this question. I said, is it possible that we as Christians see ourselves one way, but when the world looks at us, they see us in a completely different way? And it's a, it's a very humbling statement. It's a very humbling question when you think about that because, you know, often we may see ourselves as one way, but maybe the world is looking at us and they see something different. Now, listen, I know we have a great church, a church that loves to serve, but you have to understand we are lumped into the whole as the body of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, he asked his disciples, he said, but who do you say that I am? He looked at his disciples and just asked that question. Who do you say that I am? And I told you, our lives and our actions, they send a message to the world. It's sending the message of Jesus. We just need to make sure we're sending the right message of Christ, the truth of who Christ really is and what he can do for people's lives. Because the world is judging us by our fruit. And I told you, it's time that we say less and we do more. That's what we need to do. We need to say less and we need to do more. Let people see his love and action in our lives. Two things that changed when I gave my life to Christ. I shared it with you that first week. The first one was my character. My character is what's happening on the inside of me. Something had to change inside of me. Second thing that changed was my conduct. My conduct is what's happening on the outside of me. It's what I'm displaying for the world to see. My conduct is my witness. And that's why I love this month. It's because we're able to serve. It's our testimony. It's our witness to people that aren't expecting it. And so we get to do that this month. And then last week, I taught from 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And in this passage of scripture, I, I told you that God was using Samuel to choose the next king of Israel. And God sends him to the household of Jesse. And, and Samuel had Jesse's sons come before him. And he was studying the outward appearance of, of Jesse's sons to determine who the next king would be. And, and on first impression... Uh, Samuel was very impressed with the oldest son, and his name was Eliab. And, and he, he, was, he was a great-looking young man that, that surely he would be the next king. But God was really quick to correct Samuel and told him that Eliab was not the one. And the Lord said these words to Samuel. He said, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God looks at what's happening on the inside of someone. In other words, God doesn't judge success in a person's life the same way that we judge success. Because there's really two things there that you really have to hold on to. Man does look at the outward appearance. That's what we look at. It's, it's in our DNA and, and the world. That's what they're looking. They're looking at the outward display of Christ through our lives. And so we have to make sure that we're doing that the right way. But, but God does look and see potential inside people's lives that we can't see sometimes. And, and that's what happened when young David came before came before Samuel. God said, that's the one right there. I see something in him that you can't see. And I did something that was really messed up last week, really, really crazy. And, and some of you took pictures of it, put it up on, on you know, social media. And so thank you, I think. Um, I turned my sports coat inside out last week. And I preach with my, my sports coat inside out. And some of my sports coats, they tend to be a little bit fancy on the inside. You know, the lining is, is pretty spiffy. It's nice. And uh, you know, many of you were looking at me with a jealous eye wanting my sport coat. And I could understand that. And so I, I shared three thoughts with you about living life inside out. First of all, when you live inside out, people can see what you're made of. And don't worry, today I'm not going to reverse it because this jacket is fairly boring compared to last week, you know. But if you look at it, there's, there's always a tag inside that tells you what it's made out of. And, and, and so when you live your life inside out, people will be able to see what you're really made of. 
Are you made of faith? Are you, are you made out of belief, a, a trust in God? Is that what you're made out of? They will see that. Second, when you live your life inside out, they see the strength of your seams. They, they see what's holding you together. And finally, when you live your life inside out, others will see who created you. They see the designer tag on your life. They see that God has, has, has ordained your life. He has designed you with such detail that you will accomplish exactly what he wants you to accomplish in your life. As I reflect on my own personal life, I realize that I have experienced some wonderful adventures in my Christian walk. I have been very privileged to go to a number of places and, and I love it. I love it. I love what God has allowed me to do. I have walked along the edge of active volcanoes in Ecuador. Amazing. Amazing. I have even held a 12-foot a, a anaconda deep in the Amazon jungle, and I brag about it and share about it all the time, any chance that I get. And, and that happened like back in 2004, but, but it's happened. It happened in my life, and if you held a 12-foot anaconda, you would brag about it all the time too. But in the jungles of, 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 of the Amazon, I held an anaconda, a live one. Some of you are asking, was he alive? Yes, he was alive. Uh, it took two Peruvians to pick him up and put him around my neck, and I held this huge snake. It was awesome. Are you impressed yet? I'll, I'll move on if you're impressed, but you just got to, yeah, okay. Um, I, I even held a three-toed sloth in Peru. I'll never forget swimming eight feet above a shark in the Caribbean on a mission trip. You would think, man, you know, that's, that's tropical paradise. The first two days were awesome. The rest of the week, it was one of the worst mission trips of my life. I can't tell you how the enemy fought us. My wife was hit by a car on this mission trip, and, and we couldn't get a flight out, and her ankle was broken. And I mean, it was just crazy how everything happened on that, on that particular trip. But I'll never forget swimming about eight feet above, just, you know, snorkeling through the water, and there's a shark going across the bottom, and then later a stingray. I, I remember grabbing a four-and-a-half-foot-long nurse shark by the tail off the coast of little came in, grabbed it by the tail, felt like sandpaper in my hands as he, as he swam through this coral head. Amazing experiences. And I love to experience animals in their natural habitats. There, there's this thrill that you get when you see a wild animal doing what it was created to do. It's uncivilized, it's untamed, it's uncaged. And once you experience an animal in the wild, it doesn't seem to quite compare as when you see it at the zoo. It does, because I held a sloth in Peru. I held this sloth about this big. His hair is really coarse, really coarse. And I held him, and I had to hold him with his back facing me because of, of, of their, their toes. You know, they will dig in. If, they don't mean to hurt you, but they will just trying to hold on, and they'll dig in. So you have to hold him, you know, with his back towards you. And as I'm holding the sloth, and a friend of mine's getting ready to take this picture, um, there's a guy standing there coaching me the whole way. You know, he's just like, just be careful, you know. And as he's taking this picture, this thing starts turning him his head all the way around to where he's finally facing me and it was creepy man I'm not gonna lie it was most eerie thing. it looked like he was about to talk to me I mean I really thought he's about to say something I, I looked at my friend and I said hurry take a picture before he says something hurry 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 and he took the picture and I quickly handed him over to the other guy the wrong way you know because now the thing's reaching in on him but but he turned him around and and then he he reaches up and we're like under this this um you know, like this, we're like a straw hut type thing. And, and so they've got like these bamboo things for, for trust. And he lifts him up and he puts him up there to hold on. And we start talking. 
And as this thing starts climbing really slow out towards the edge, as soon as he almost gets to freedom, this guy walks over, grabs him, and puts him right back in the middle. Ten minutes later, we're still standing there talking, and he has slowly crawled over. Now, I'll tell you, in the wild, in the Amazon, that's a cool experience. But when you're standing at a zoo, and you're looking through some plexiglass at a three-toed sloth, it's one of the most boring experiences of your life. Because that slow movement, you, you just don't even see it. I mean, you're just standing there just, just watching, and you're like, okay, next, you know, where's the lions and the tigers and the bears? Thank you. Hey, thanks for playing along. I love to experience these animals in their natural habitats. But man, at the zoo, it seems like it's too safe. It's too tame. It's just, it's way too predictable at times. Unless you're visiting Jurassic Park, then it's not too predictable. But, but even going to SeaWorld, going to SeaWorld and walking through the shark encounter is now, it's, it's not the same anymore once you've swam with sharks in their natural environment. You know, once you have looked death in the eyes and dared it to move, that's not exactly how it went down, but <laughs> makes me sound big and bad, doesn't it? Once you've experienced them in their natural habitat, it's just not the same. And I've come to realize that the church has the tendency to cage believers. Stay with me today. This is so important because if you're going to live life inside out, you've got to understand what I'm saying, but you've got to stay with me because some of you, you're going to hear part of this and you're going to walk out of here and think that it gives you a license to sin. And that's not what I'm talking about at all. You need to understand and, 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 and hear me throughout this whole message. Because the church in general, not just our church, but the church in general, we, we have this tendency to cage believers. People give their hearts to Christ, and we start putting this list of things that they can't do on their lives. And trust me, when somebody gives their heart to Christ, as I told you in week one, there, there's some things that have to change. From the inside out, there's some things that need to change. But it seems to me that sometimes we become so focused on making sure that they're safe, that we cage Christians, and we take all of the danger out of Christianity. And I want you to know today, and I'm going to prove it to you, Christianity is never meant to be not dangerous. It's meant to be dangerous. It is. Christianity is not a safe place. Christianity, it walks on the edge. Now, now don't get me wrong. I love the church. I hope everybody here understands I love, I've given my life for the church. I, th this is my job. This is what I do. I get to teach the saints and, and I get to be there during their times of celebration and their times of mourning and everything in between. I love the church. My life is spent preparing the bride for another man. And I understand that and I'm okay with that. I, this isn't my bride. This is the bride of Christ. And I don't get to enjoy this bride the way that he gets to enjoy the bride. But understand, I love the church. I, I, I do, it, and I personally believe that the local church is the avenue that God uses to empower and to encourage us as believers. Church, we need the church. We need it. I believe that with my whole heart. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do or some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near or, or, or that the day of his coming is coming close to us. Let's encourage each other. Let's be together in the local church is what it's saying. 
I believe in the local church, and I don't believe that most churches cage people intentionally. I don't think that's what happens. I, I think it's a very unintentional process because we're, we're trying to protect them. We're trying our best to help them. We become like overprotective parents at times. And that's what it is. We become like overprotective parents. We have one of those in my home, but it's not me. It's a really noble cause when you think about it. Anybody who's overprotective, it's a noble cause. We try to remove the risk. We try to remove the danger. We're trying to remove the struggle. And that's sweet and all, but all we end up with is a caged Christian. Because the Christian walk is about struggles. You know that, right? I hope you know that. He never said when you give your heart to me, then everything is going to go perfect and according to plan exactly how you want it. No, he said, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I believe that means he'll actually put the desires that he wants you to have in your heart. Delight yourself in him and he'll give you the desires that he wants you to have in your heart. You see, when I gave my heart to Christ, it's not about me anymore. It's about him. And too many people, too many believers, too many Christians, they go through life and, and, and people have just surrounded them to try and keep them safe. And I, 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 man, it's a noble cause. And I believe there's moments when we have to pull people out of darkness and, and we got to take the temptation away. Understand that. If you're struggling with alcoholism, don't go sit in the bar. I mean, we need to, to train people. We need to teach them. If, if you struggle with gossip, don't keep hanging out with people who will listen to your gossip. Find yourself some friends that will tell you to shut your mouth. Apparently, some of you have been talked about lately. <laughs> no way, no how am I condoning a lifestyle of sin. This message is not condoning sin. This is about living inside out. Because church, what happens to us inside of these walls is supposed to be walked out, out there. What happens to us in here has to challenge us to live life out there. And I will say this, for the kingdom of God and for the expansion of the kingdom of God, what happens out there is more important than what happens in here. Now understand, I said for the expansion of the kingdom of God, what happens out there is more important than what happens in here. What happens in here is important for you to have your faith built, for you to show up each and every week and for God's word to be poured into you to give you the strength that you need so that you can walk out of here and be that light and darkness. And so what happens out there, outside of these walls is more important for the expansion of the kingdom than what happens inside of these walls. This church is not here to keep you safe. And that's what we want. Let's show up. Let's, let's, let's just, you know, tell me everything's going to be okay, pastor. Just, just paint the picture that my life is, is going to be fine. It's going to be roses from here on out. And I'm telling you, this church is not here to keep you safe. Jesus died to save you from sin and hell, but he did not die to keep you safe. And I know that because there were disciples that followed him and gave their life for him, that they were tortured and they were crucified and they were beaten for the cause of Christ. Listen, giving your heart to Christ is not about him keeping you safe. Yeah, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But I will tell you, you will go through trials. You will go through tribulation. But the, the good news is that he's going to go with you every step of the way. That's the promise that we have. That we're not forsaken. That he's there with us in the middle of our trial. That's how your faith is built. 
Whoever tells you that your life is going to be perfect after you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, they're just plain wrong. I'm sorry, but that's not the message of the cross. He said, take up your cross and follow me. It gets tough sometimes. John 16 and 33, Jesus said, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So he says, listen, what you're going to go through, I've already been there. I, I can help you through this, but you're still going to have to go through it. You're going to have trials. You're going to have sorrows. But, 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 but take heart because I've already been there. I've done that. And we, we're going to make it through to the other side. Just trust in me. And too many churches are trying to remove believers from the world. Now listen, we got to get the world out, out of them. I mean, but, but, but we still, we're, we're called to go into the world and to make disciples. That means we can't just just focus on what happens inside of this room. We've got to focus on discipling people outside of this room and getting them ready to go back into the world. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. That was a long intro, wasn't it? I'm almost done. Almost done. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus has called his disciples, all 12 of them. Matthew is very careful to tell us that even Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray Jesus, Remember, he's, he's writing this after the fact. He's, he's, he's telling us history here. And so even though Judas has not yet betrayed him, as he's writing, he says, even Judas was invited. Jesus calls the 12 together and says, even, even you know, Jesus calls the 12 together and says, you know, I'm even going to include Judas, the one who will betray Jesus in this. And he's very careful to make sure that we know that. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. These 12, Jesus sent out instructing them. Now listen to the mission. Here's what he tells them. Don't miss this. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now listen, let me explain this to you. He's saying the time hasn't come yet for us to spread this to the whole world. He said right now we're focusing on the Jews. We're focusing on Israel. That's our mission right now. You 12, this is what we're going to use you for. Uh, I'm going to raise up somebody by the name of Paul who, who's going to reach out to the Gentiles. It's going to happen. But, but, but he says, focus on Israel, verse 7, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or, st or a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Listen to verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Church, what I just read to you is dangerous stuff. What he's trying to prepare these disciples for, it's dangerous. He's not wrapping bubble wrap around their lives and telling them, here, you, you, you young believers, stay safe. He's saying, what is about to happen to you is going to be trying. It, it's not going to be easy. You're going to go to some places, and even some of these towns that you go into, you're going to have to stay in people's homes. And there's some people that they are going to be receptive. They're, they're, they're going to, to hear what you're saying, and they're going to want to know more. And he says, 
leave your peace with them. But there's going to be others that they don't want to hear what you have to say. And he says, uh, take your peace back with you and, and, and get out of there. And he says, at some point in time, you've got to shake the dust off your feet and move on because you're just wasting time and we've got a mission. We've got something that we need to accomplish here. He says, it's not going to be easy. And he goes on to tell them those words that, that, that are just so haunting and so frightening when he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Think about that church just for a moment because this is, is not easy. This is not an easy assignment. When, when Jesus Christ, when the Messiah looks at you and says, this movement that we have going right now, it's up to you. You're going to be the ones that spread this thing. You're the ones that are going to be my ambassadors and I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. You know, I'm sending you out as grass eaters among flesh eaters. That's our assignment. I'm sending you out there where it's dangerous. And so you need to be careful out there. And so I want you to be wise as serpents is what he says. Snakes, they know how to avoid harmful situations. Did you know most snakes are not aggressive until they feel threatened? I mean, there was this one time, I don't know if I've ever told you about this, but there's this one time where I held a 12-foot anaconda in the Amazon. It was not aggressive. It was not. It had been fed uh, like three days earlier and is, from what they told me. I really had to trust these guys a lot, but, but they, they said that it had eaten a chicken. So it wasn't hungry. And I held it not aggressive at all. Now, they also had a, a boa constrictor that they had dug a pit in the ground and they just had like chicken wire. We're, we're in the middle of the Amazon. We're down a tributary, down this, you know, just, we're in the middle of nowhere, like 15 miles downriver somewhere. And this Peruvian guy jumps in this hole with this, this boa constrictor and this thing is mean. And his mouth was just that big and he's striking at this guy's rubber boots that he's wearing. And the guy says, you, you, in. And I was like, not a chance. He felt threatened. The guy had invaded his space. He felt threatened. Most snakes, they, they avoid harmful situations. They're not aggressive until they need to be aggressive. And Jesus says, I want you to be wise as serpents. Jesus desires for us to know when to back down and when it is necessary to defend. And let me tell you, that, that, is a, that is a tough paradox for us because it's not easy to determine this in the Christian faith, but, but this is what we must do. We must become wise as serpents. We've got to figure out when it's time to retreat and when it's time to march forward. We've got we've to figure out when it's time to be peaceful and when it's time to, to be more aggressive. And, and, and those things happen in our lives and we've got to be able to discern that. And so he says, you need to pray for wisdom. You need to be wise as serpents. And then he said, but you also need to be innocent as doves. Doves are referred to as birds of peace. They're not birds of prey. They're birds of peace. Their temperament is calm and their disposition is sweet. Doves do not bite. At most, they might just slap you with a wing if they're guarding their nest or they do not want to be picked up. And, and, and that's how they kind of defend themselves. Doves really are harmless. They really are peaceful birds. And he calls us and he says, I want you to be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. He, he says, I want you to have wisdom and innocence. I want you to know when to move forward and when to back off. And, and no matter what you do, you have to be sweet through the whole process. I've told you this before. Some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life are people I've met in the church. The perfect balance for believers. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. And then Jesus tells them in verse 8. Let, let me tell you this. We feel 
new believers with all of these can'ts. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't. And I'm not saying they don't need to be coached, but listen close. Don't miss this, church. This is so important. We need to start filling their lives with some cans. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can do. Hey, if this is happening, here's what you can do. It's not all about the can'ts. There, there are many opportunities in Christianity that we need to look at and we need to take pride in. And Jesus looks at them in verse 8 and he says, let me give you some can'ts. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to heal the sick. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to cleanse lepers. I want you to cast out demons. In other words, he was saying, I want you to go and, and hang out with the contagious. That's where I want you. I want you to go and mess up some funerals. I want you to go and pray for those that nobody else wants to be around. And, and when you encounter someone that's full of the devil, why don't, why don't you try and set them free? That's what he says. Now, listen, this is about to get weird right here. Some of you are scared to death right now. You're like, demons? What are you talking about? Demons? You ever met somebody that, man, you can just tell that they got the devil living inside of them. They're some of the meanest people you ever met in your life. And you might have met them in church. I don't, I'm just, no, maybe not. Maybe you didn't meet them in church. I met some in church, but they needed, they needed to be delivered. There's people that have demonic forces that are haunting their lives. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm calling you, you bunch of fishermen, you deadbeat tax collector. You are the ones that I'm going to use to bring deliverance for these people. I want you out there healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, and casting out demons. When's the last time that we actually prayed for somebody who was sick with enough faith? I mean, where we projected it. We didn't, you know, I'm guilty of this sometimes. Lord, I know you can. I know you can. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, but I know you're not. I know that you think I'm this great man of faith and that I get it all right all the time. But man, I'm guilty of it. There's moments when I feel God prompting my heart to pray for someone who, who has what could be a fatal illness in their life. And there's moments when he prompts me to pray, prompts me to pray and, and I'll, be, I'll just be, I'll be dead honest with you. I'm scared. There's sometimes when I get it, get it right and there's, there's many times when I get it wrong because the fear comes over us of what if God doesn't answer the prayer? Then we just look foolish, right? Let me tell you something. It's not you, it's his name. Quit making it about you. It's about Jesus Christ. And the way we respond to answered and unanswered prayers, it teaches the world what they need to know about our Jesus. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You know we're not called to hold the fort down. And, and that's what's happened with, with way too many church people. They feel like their calling is to hold the fort down. I'm so glad that you showed up today. I am because, I, you know, where, who was going to hold these chairs down today from flying off? You know, that's, that's holding the fort down. And it's not just you. It happens on this stage too. Thank God I'm standing on top of this rug so it doesn't fly away. We get so content and so happy with holding the fort down. And he's never called us to hold the fort down. Trust me, the church is going to stand. The church is going to be all right. He has called us to storm the gates of hell. And that scares some of you right there.
Because when you storm the gates of hell, you got a battle on your hands. But you have to ask yourself, is it worth fighting for? Is it worth seeing somebody healed of a sickness? Somebody delivered of demonic forces? Somebody who's been ostracized and they're an outcast, seeing them accepted into the body of Christ? You know, that's what the, that's what the whole deal about lepers. They, they couldn't live with everybody else because of their sickness. He's saying, go out and touch their lives. Bring them in. Make them a part of this thing. Storming the gates of hell. Going at it with everything within you and saying, I am not going to be satisfied. You know, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, he says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Have you ever thought about that? When I got here this morning early, I went out this door here and there were some guys waiting at the gate that was locked out there. They're waiting to get in and set up all these chairs and the signage and all that kind of stuff. And I was thinking about my sermon as I was walking down the sidewalk to unlock the gate for them. And I thought, man, gates, what what are they for? I can tell you this, gates aren't meant to keep things in. It's meant to keep things out. Think about it. Those guys were locked out. I needed them in here. And until I go and unlock that gate, gates are defensive. That's what it is. Gates are for defense. Gates are put up to keep someone out. Let me tell you why hell has gates. He says that the gates of hell should not prevail against it, but against the church. Hell has gates because hell is scared of you. The enemy knows that if you live up to your spiritual potential, the gates of hell will crumble around your life. That's what hell knows. And I'm tired of the enemy putting so much doubt in our minds that we cower down in fear. Do you really think that God's ultimate plan for your life is for you to sit in a chair for 75 minutes every week listening to a sermon, singing a few songs? That's not the barometer of spiritual maturity. Hell is scared of us, but, but hell's not scared of us while we're sitting in here. Hell's kind of thankful that the church has just went to sleep sitting in chairs. It's so easy for me to preach this during a month that we go out and serve, you know, right? Because I know that that's... That's not the epidemic for us. I know that we break the mold of some churches. But it should break our hearts when people don't see the urgency of storming the gates of hell to take back what Satan is trying to steal out of our lives. I'm reminded of this time when I was a youth pastor in Tampa. We had this, this group of brothers. Their, their last name was Solberg. And um, some of you know Jeremiah. He's actually went on the last mission trip with us. And, and there's a bunch of these, these brothers. There's no sisters, all brothers. And they're all out, outdoorsy kind of guys. I mean, that's, that's who they are. And they would invite me to go play paintball with them. And I remember the first time I showed up to play paintball with them, I, I, I show up and, and I'm wearing like a bright yellow Nike shirt, you know. And these guys are all in camouflage. And it's just like, here I am, shoot me, you know. Nowhere to hide. And so I, I, I you know, I, I've kind of learned next time I showed up, I was, I was wearing camo. I'll never forget this one time. The, the place where we played, it, it wasn't a paintball course. The, these guys went out, they gathered up logs and they would stack them to make barricades and they would dig trenches and all this kind of stuff. And it was in the middle of the woods, even a swamp. And so we'd get out there and, and play. This is real man paintball is what's going on. And I remember this one time, me and the youngest Solberg brother, his name was, was Caleb, and he was only nine or 10 years old. And he, they train him right from a very young age. Yeah. 
If the zombie apocalypse ever happens, I'm running to the Solbergs, just letting you know. And so I, I, I was in a foxhole with this kid. Me and him, we're, we're, we're in this, this little, you know, made foxhole that, that we have there. And we're the only two left on our team. And all the other Solberg brothers are on the other team. I don't know how, how this happened. I don't know who, I, what was I thinking? I got the youngest one on my team and we're the only two left and we're in this foxhole and, and we're playing capture the flag. And it's only about a 25 yard sprint to get the flag. And we're in this foxhole and, and I, I look over at him and I said, Caleb, here's what we're gonna do, bud. And we've been stuck here long enough. I said, listen, whenever I count to three, I'm going to jump up out of this hole and I'm just going to start spraying paintballs all over. I said, they're going to shoot me. It's okay. I'm sacrificing me for you, bud. You run. As soon as I jump up out of this ditch, you run and you grab that flag and I'm just going to take all the pelting for you. Man. Just, just, just trust me. You trust me? I trust you, Pastor Rocky. I said, you trust me. Yeah. And man, I'm telling you, it was, it was a perfect plan. Everything was going to go down. We were going to win. We were going to capture the flag. And I went, one, two, Three. And when I did, that kid jumps up out of that hole. He takes off running, and I'm sitting there just shaking. I mean, I, I'm in a fetal position. I am scared to death. And I felt bad. I felt awful. I did. I had all of the right intentions. My, my heart was good. My heart was good. But I was scared. I wasn't brave enough. And it cost him his life. They lit that kid up. I couldn't even see it, but all you could do was hear it. All you did is, oh, yeah. I mean, it just, that was it. It was game over, game over. That's how I feel spiritually sometimes. I do. Sometimes I feel, I'm just being honest with you. Sometimes I feel like I'm supposed to jump up out of the foxhole and open fire on the enemy bombard the gates of hell with so much prayer, speak so much faith, touch other people's lives, and I get scared. I felt it this past week. I'm not telling you this to brag on me because if you've been on Wednesday nights, you know we've been talking about random acts of kindness and we're prompting each other for that. <laughs> I went to a restaurant this week intentionally looking for an old elderly couple that I could buy their, their meal. That was what I wanted to do for World Kindness Day. I wanted to find an elderly couple and buy, buy their meal. And I sit there and I looked over at, at this, this old couple sitting there and fear gripped over me because he looked mean. <laughs> and I was afraid he was gonna reject me, you know? So I went and paid first. That's what I did. I went and paid. And then I just thought, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to leave. And the waitress actually walks by and says, you, you don't pay. He paid for you. And then he was like, why did you do that? My knees were shaking. We're so afraid. Why am I so afraid of that? Why am I afraid to pray? A believer's prayer of faith for healing. When his word has already told me that by his stripes we are healed. It's because when I pray, it's me putting his word in action. It's, it's my words that are being said. And I become fearful that he's not gonna do what I'm asking. And it makes it seem like I've got all the power. It makes it feel like I'm divine at that moment. In reality, 
Healing only comes through him, not from me. What if he doesn't? Maybe he's got another plan. Recently, God prompted me to pray a bold prayer for someone. And I sit in my office all day. And I said, God, I need a sign. I did. I, I was so scared. It's a serious situation that they were facing, and I needed a sign. So I laid my fleece out before the Lord, and I said, God, if you want me to pray for them, if this is just not my emotions, when I get there, I want them speaking faith. I want, I, I want to hear, you know, that they believe and that God is able and all that. And, and I know, I know that's just the, the human side of me, that's fear rising up inside of me, but that was, that's what I said. God, if, if you want me to pray this, this prayer of faith over this, this person's life, then you need to let this happen. And I walked in the door, and the first thing's out of their mouth was God is able. I know that God can do this. I said, thank you, Lord, for humoring me. I get the message. And I prayed one of the boldest prayers I've prayed in a long time. A long time. And I really believed. I would love to stand here today and tell you that the end of this story is God did exactly what I asked him to do. But it didn't happen. Not the way I wanted it to. Not the way I prayed for it to. It didn't happen. And the thought hit me. If God gave me everything that I asked for, answered every prayer, he's nothing more than a genie. I don't need a genie. I need somebody that will guide and direct my life and the people's lives that I'm praying for. No matter what seems good or bad, pleasant or unpleasant, I need a God that I can trust. That when I pray, when I ask, if he doesn't give it to me exactly the way I want it, that I trust him that he is ordaining steps and guiding and leading in the direction that he wants our lives to go. It would make for such a great story for me to tell you, man, I stood there, I prayed this great prayer of faith, and God came through. But some of you need to understand that, that sometimes you pray, and God just does it differently than the way you have it planned. What am I supposed to do with that? Do I stop praying? Should, should I not be as bold when God doesn't answer the prayers the way I want him to? Uh, let me tell you this. God is sovereign and he doesn't have to answer prayers the way that you want him to. And he doesn't have to answer the prayers within your time frame. Sometimes he does. But what I've figured out in my life is most of the time he doesn't. But he still comes through. And he still hears. And he promises that he's going to walk with me through every step of the way. In Genesis, there's this story of a man by the name of Abraham. And God called him out of Ur. At 75 years old, God tells him, I'm going to make you a father of nations. That means you're going to have a son. You're going to have offspring. At 75 years old, God gives him this promise. For 25 years, this man waits. And finally, at 100 years old, God gives him his son, Isaac. 
He waited for 25 years. Church, I did the math. It's 300 months. It's 1,300 weeks. It's 9,125 days that this man waited on the promise. It's not the way that we pray. It's not how we want it. It's not within our time frame. But God says, just trust me with it. But be bold enough to pray for it. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. As grass eaters among flesh eaters. I want you to be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. And he prepares his disciples to spread the gospel to the world. And their mission is still flowing through the church today. But the church has become complacent. We like living inside. We like wrapping bubble wrap around our lives. And he says, I want you to become so strong in my word and in your prayer and in your faith that when you walk outside of these doors, you're invading the gates of hell that are trying to keep you out. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.